everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, the FW's weekly show where we hit on all of the latest and greatest news of the week. Quick programming note, though, because I know there is a lot going on. You're probably looking at the schedule, wondering what the hell happened to the preview show. Uh, just because of the condensed nature of this week, we will be combining the preview show with this weekend warm-up. And there's a good reason for that, actually. It's not just that we're getting lazier, that we couldn't get anyone to do it. We are going to have a reaction show to the UCL draw, which will be occurring on Friday. Of course, I'm recording this on a Thursday, as I normally do with the weekend warm-up. But we will combine the preview show just to make sure things are all in all our ducks in a row, really, because we don't want to bombard you with three podcasts to listen to in three days, which would be four and five days when you factor in Byron plays the dreaded Sunday match against Bayer Leverkusen. So uh, let's just get to this one and start this weekend warm up with our preview of the upcoming Bayern Munich Bayer Leverkusen match. And this is a very, very interesting match for a lot of reasons. One, it's right before an international break. So Bayern Munich We'll have to juggle who to start, who to sit, who to give rest to as they prepared it to get a little bit of downtime, at least for some of the players. Of course, those those people at Bayern Munich who get called up to their respective international sides will be busy, but we expect this to be a relatively low-key international break for Bayern Munich. Players like Thomas Muller obviously will not be getting the call because Hansi Flick has decided to leave a couple of veterans home, which is a... Great move for Germany, and I'm sure we'll we'll probably talk a lot about that next week on the show, as I'm sure I will have a lot of thoughts on Germany's roster, who got called up, who got admitted, and all of that. So I can already bank on that for next week, because I will have a full breakdown of that. But as for this week's game between Bayern Munich and Bayer Leverkusen, we'll start out looking at where each team is in the table and what their recent form has been. Bayern Munich right now sitting atop the table with 52 points through 24 match days. They have 15 wins, 7 draws, and 2 losses. They have 71 goals for only 25 against, which is still astounding to me. Uh, And over the course of their last 5 Bundesliga matches, they have 4 wins and 1 loss. Most recently, Bayern Munich put away FC Augsburg last week in a 5-3 match that was not quite as close as that score would indicate. But overall, if you're a Bayern Munich fan, you have to be really happy with where they sit in the table, what their recent form has been, and how they have played under Julian Nagelsmann of late. And we've got some thoughts on that coming up in a little bit. But uh, the coach has them in a very good spot, a very advantageous position at this stage of the season. And that will be important because the team is rolling. They've built some momentum. And they are going to play against a very pesky Bayer Leverkusen side who has also picked up their form of late under former Bayern Munich midfielder Xabi Alonso, who is, of course, the head coach there. Right now, Bayer Leverkusen is sitting at ninth place in the table, which I'm sure their fans are not overly thrilled about. But this is a team that could easily end up in a top top six position. It's totally not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, through 24 match days, Bayer Leverkusen has 10 wins, 4 draws, and 10 losses. That's good for 34 points. They have 43 goals for 39 against, so not a great goal differential. Of course, they played a good portion of the season without Florian Burtz, who we'll touch on, but this team is much better than their record really indicates, and their status in the league, uh, to me, it's not really that much of a fair spot for them. I think they are better. I think they will 
continue to build on the recent momentum that they have uh, accumulated. So over the course of their last five games, Bayer Leverkusen has three wins, one draw and one loss. Last week, Leverkusen put away Werder Bremen 3-2. That loss, that that loss that I referenced, was back on February 18th. It was a 3-2 loss to Mainz. So this Leverkusen squad is, in a lot of ways, there's just, there's a ton of potential on it. And it's not just because they have Florian Wirtz. He is obviously uh, one of the most exciting young German players. He is one of the Bundesliga's top young players. He is just a fantastic player to watch. But this Bayer Leverkusen squad has a lot of talent on it. And if you consider that they're doing it without Patrick Schick at this point, who is uh, nursing a groin injury, there's there's a lot to be said about what's going on here. Uh, of course, they also have Adam Holozik in the uh, attack, who was one of those players at, at a time that was linked to Bayern Munich. You have Musa Diaby, who always seems to be able to take his game to another level. Florian Wirtz, uh, of course, we referenced. He has been up and down, uh, not just... I shouldn't say up and down because his performances have been pretty good, but Bayer Leverkusen is being a little bit cautious with him in, in terms of how they use him. Uh, Verts might be a candidate to be arrested this week, although you would think he would really want to be out there against Bayern Munich. Uh, of course, wanting to prove his wares against a team that he has been linked to several times. The 19-year-old has has really just... To me, coming off of an injury like he had, a massive knee injury, uh, it's always kind of touch and go on how a player will come back from something like that. Uh, But if you ask me, uh, he's done really, really well for himself. He looks like he's building back to getting all of that explosiveness that he had prior to the injury. Of course, being so young, he probably had a great chance to recover that and for whatever they are doing in Europe or the Middle East or Asia, wherever these guys are going to get their treatments, whatever they're doing there, uh, <laughs> when you look at a, a player like Verts and then you look at this quick turnaround that Luca Hernandez is is aiming for at Bayern Munich, it's incredible. If you tear your ACL in the United States, I mean, you're done for the season regardless, no matter what sport you were in. The fact that players like Verts, who who probably took a little bit longer than uh, than I think some fans would have liked. But I think that was total caution from the club to make sure that he would be ready to go. Uh, I, I think it was smart to be cautious with him. But either way, he, he still recovered, in my mind, pretty quickly from what was a very devastating injury. But then you look at Hernandez, and he could be back upwards of like six months later. That's nuts to me. I, I cannot wrap my head around that. Anyway, Verts missed last week with some muscular problems uh, against Werder Bremen. There is some speculation that he could be rested for this match against Bayern Munich, but uh, we have not heard anything definitive just yet. But either way, if he's there, uh, he'll definitely make his presence known. Some other players <laughs> that have been uh, attached in one way <clears throat> or another to Bayern Munich, Callum Hudson-Odoi is on the Bayer Leverkusen roster. Of course, there was uh, a couple of seasons-long flirtation with Hudson Odoi and Bayern Munich. And uh, it's one of those transfer moves that I never wanted the guy. So I'm happy that <laughs> Bayern never got him. Uh, and it's one of those few times I might end up being right. He just has not panned out. 
uh, has not reached that potential that a lot of people thought he might have. But that was a good non-move for Bayern Munich, even if that was a bit of luck on Bayern's part, because I do think they really wanted him. You know, Leverkusen, not just with their younger players, but they have just, they have a ton of of veteran experience. Um, you know, when you look at uh, Karim Derembe, uh, you look at Nadim Amiri, who is tw- at 26, uh, been around the block a while, but uh, is, is definitely still in, in that part of his career you would consider the prime. Uh, Jonathan Ta, who at just 23 has... Uh, <laughs> has really had an up and down career. At one point, he looked like he was going to be one of Germany's next great defenders, and has fallen off a cliff since then. You could go Edmund Tapsova, another relatively young defender for Bayer Leverkusen at 24. Who, uh, I'm sorry, Jonathan Ta is 27 now, not 23. Uh, I, I cut four years off of his life there, <laughs> or yeah, cut four years off. But uh, Ta is 27. Tapsoba at 24 is a, is another young player who uh, Bayer Leverkusen, I think, has a lot of hopes for. But, uh, you know, this is a very good team. Jeremy Frimpong is also back on defense for uh, Bayer Leverkusen, Mitchell Bacher. I mean, there are just so many players that have some kind of notoriety on this Leverkusen roster. You can essentially look at them and you can say that this is a this is a good squad Probably a squad that if they had Florian Verts for the season, the entire season, they would be in a much better spot in the table. But I like what they're doing. I like what Xabi Alonso is is putting together at Bayer Leverkusen. It has not completely meshed and, mel- and molded together yet, but I think he's working towards something. I think he's got a lot of good ideas, and he's got a lot of good tools to work with. And I think this Leverkusen team really could present a big issue for Bayern Munich uh, to me, uh, this isn't a very interesting matchup because I'm not sure if Bayern Munich is really going to be all that focused right before the break. Now, they've built some great momentum up. They have done some terrific things. And you'd hate to see that all fall off just because they had a letdown right before an international break. But such is the nature of football at times where uh, teams will have that let down before break, before they know they're they're getting a couple of days off or before the national team players are, are heading to a camp. So uh, it'll be interesting to me to see how Nagelsmann manages this, who he puts out there, and how motivated the team looks. Uh, so right now, I guess what I'll do is give my prediction on what this lineup is going to look like. I will go with Jan Sommer uh, in between the sticks. I'll use a back three this week because I think that Julian Nagelsmann is really settled in on this for the rest of the season and moving forward, which we will touch on later. But it does seem as though Nagelsmann is turning the page on one era of Bayern Munich football and pushing it right to the next era because while it might upset some fans who are back four loyalists, I think the back three is here to stay. And like I said, I will get into all of that a little bit later, but back three of Pavar, Dio Upamakano, and Matthijs De Ligt I think that is what we're going to see the rest of the season in all big matches. And I think that is what is going to be the foundation of this team moving forward uh, in terms of what the formation will look like. Uh, the double pivot in midfield, we will see Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka. I don't think this is a time where you want to mess around too much and and use Ryan Gravenberg or get funny with the formations. I think Kimmich and Goretzka have proven that when together – Uh, And when they are each at the top of their games, they are absolutely 
one of the best central midfields in Europe and have proven as such. They have done everything they've been asked to do this season. And while there have been some ups and downs for both players, uh, when they play together, they are pretty damn good. So uh, again, those two will occupy the central midfield. As far as the wingbacks will go, I think this is another area where Julian Nagelsmann has really settled into something. Alfonso Davies, I think, will occupy the left wingback spot. Davies has been really, really good again after, to me, really underperforming in the first part of the season. I know he was battling some injuries. It seemed like he was probably battling some personal stuff, had some relationship issues, of course, uh, earlier in this season. Uh, He also... Uh, you know, sometimes players just have a drop in form. And I think he struggled with that. He struggled how to work out of that. But now he looks back to his confident self, his attacking self. And he looks a little bit more aware of his not just his defensive positioning, but also his responsibilities. And I think that while, you know, the wingback to me is still very much a defensive position, uh, the fact that there are three center backs back there plus another wingback, it does give him a little more freedom to roam. And I think he's taking advantage of that and also, in my mind, making a better effort to get back and play uh, defense, which we didn't always see in the first part of the season. Uh, At right wing back, I think we're going to see Kingsley Coman, and I think Nagelsmann loves Coman in that role. I think Coman has embraced playing that role. Coman, very much like Davies, gives that attacking element from the outer defensive flank and he's able to do so much with crossing breaking down defenses with his dribbling uh Coman to me is really coming into his own and and probably mostly because he's playing this position where he's able to see the field more and when you give a player with that kind of footwork that kind of speed that little bit of extra room and that that more time to process the game and really break down a defense, it, it, it's been really awesome to watch. And I think Coman has embraced that position, and he is killing defenses with how he is playing. Uh, I love what he's doing there, and I think he's a great fit at that right wing back role. In those two attacking midfield roles, I would say Jamal Musiala and Thomas Muller will take those positions. They have simply been the best two players for those spots, and that's not a knock on the Roy Sané. I think he's been really good. Uh, for whatever reason, the, the the team just seems to function better with both both Musiala and Muller on the pitch. Unfortunately for players like Sané and Serge Gnabry, that does put them on the bench. Uh, for years, I think we had a lot of people consider, considered them mostly as true wingers. But in this formation, they have to play the attacking midfield or striker. And I think Sané, uh, while he has proven he can do that, and he is definitely a player who can impact matches when he's at the top of his game. His bout with confidence that he had struggled with about a month ago, um, it really hindered his ability to make an impact. And with that, Thomas Muller jumped right back into his spot in the lineup and has looked pretty much like a player you can't afford not to have in there. So someone had to go, and unfortunately that is Sané. Musiala, we've already gotten that declaration that he will always start from Nagelsmann, so counting on him to fill a spot as well at striker. This is where it gets a little bit interesting because Eric Maxim Chupo Moting is battling a back injury. Uh, I think what Nagelsmann will do is use Sadio Mane. Uh, Mane of course came to Bayern Munich and it was very unclear to me how they would use him. They had so many talented wings. And of course, at that time I was still envisioning Bayern using a four two three one. 
uh, or even a 4-3-3. But right now, it does appear that this back three formation is set up in a way that if Mane is going to play, it's going to have to be in that striker role. And it's weird to think <laughs> that we might have a positional battle here between Eric Maxim, Chupo Moting, and Sadio Mane. Would you have ever in your life thought that would be a problem for Bayern Munich that they would have to deal with at this time last year. <laughs> I mean, I know if, if you rewound, uh, you know, one year from today, I would never have thought that was a possibility. I mean, last year it was always a matter of just chalking uh, Robert Lewandowski right into that spot. You could write him down for every game, but of course so much has changed since this time last year. Lewandowski of course is with FC Barcelona and Bayern Munich has been really uh in search of a player to consistently put at that striker role, it seemed as if Eric Maxim Chupo Moting had had kind of won the job. I mean, they had thrown Thomas Muller at him and, and tried to have Muller challenge for the striker role, but it, to me, it never looked like Muller embraced that. It didn't look like he really wanted to play that role. So um, obviously, he did not succeed there. But with Chupo Moting, I think he has definitely done some good things there. But Mane will get the call this week, and we'll see how he does, because if he does well, there could be a battle there as well. As for a prediction, I am going to go with Bayern Munich 3, Bayer Leverkusen 1. As much as I talk about a letdown, I think Nagelsmann has this team focused and motivated. I think he's got them in a position where they're going to avoid some of those pitfalls we might normally see teams struggle with. Um, so I'm going to go 3-1 Bayern Munich. Of course, you all know I love that 3-1 scoreline. I think Bayern Munich does have enough offense to put up three goals, and I think while Bayer Leverkusen will break through with one, Bayern's defense will will pretty much clamp down on them and not give them too many opportunities right ahead of this international break. I think these Bayern Munich players want to end this portion of their schedule with a win, and they want to go out on a good note, so they will do just that. That'll wrap up the preview show part of this program. So let's go on to some other things. And I'm going to kind of quick hit style these because there's a lot to cover. Uh, And one thing I will say is that I do think that this international break is needed for Bayern Munich. And while a lot of Bayern players will be checking into their international teams and they are going to be playing roles for their respective countries, I do think some of the veterans need the downtime, particularly Thomas Muller, his schedule over the last year and a half to two years has been absolutely nightmarish. He could use some rest. He could, he could, he definitely could use some time to freshen his legs up because I do feel like with the role he's playing now and the position he's playing, he's going to be extremely important to Bayern Munich's title hopes in the Bundesliga, the DFB Pokal in the Champions League. Having a fresh molar is one of those things that I think is underappreciated by the greater footballing community because when he is, at the top of his game and he is looking good and he's got that extra jump in his step. It means so much to this Bayern Munich attack. And with Muller operating at the top of his, of his ability, it's going to make Bayern Munich even more dangerous. So let's do that. Let's get him some rest. Let's get anyone else who's not getting that call to their international teams. Let's get them some rest. They can get some other workouts in. they can take it a little bit easy uh, of course, being Bayern Munich, they're going to have so many call-ups, um, you know, but so will other teams. 
So hopefully those players can do the main thing, and that is stay healthy and avoid injury. No matter what happens on the international break, as long as Bayern Munich's players can avoid those big injuries, I think the club will come out of this okay. Uh, It'll be interesting because Bayern's players are spread. uh, It seems like they're spread out even more, and there will, like I said, there will be an absolute ton of them that get called up. Some have already been announced, but uh, I'm just hoping for health. I, I want to see no injuries over this. One of the big stories, though, this week was Erling Haaland's performance in the Champions League against Manchester City. Haaland went out and scored five goals. And, of course, he was looking like he was steamrolling to get that sixth goal, maybe even a seventh. He had a half hour to play when Pep Guardiola yanked him from the game. And I'll tell you what, I thought that was really weak from Pep. And I know Haaland has had some some nagging injuries over the years. He's picked up some little knocks that have affected him. He's had some larger scale injuries. But when a player is on the cusp of history, I think you let him finish it out. I mean, at that point, it wasn't like Arbe Leipzig was running anyone at him, like Arbe Leipzig was getting dirty with Holland. There was no threat of that. If ever there was a time to let a guy chase something, it was it was then. I mean, you could have penciled in Holland for at least another 15 minutes, but I personally would have let him chase that out. And listen, I get why Pep Guardiola pulled him. I think it was unfair. I get it. He Pep is looking at the rest of the season. He's looking at this week's up this weekend's upcoming matches. I believe they have an FA Cup game, if I if I even have that correct, but I believe that was what Pep said his rationale was. Listen, I understand it. But Holland was in in a zone. He was in an absolute zone that game. He was in the right spot pretty much every time he was around the net. And for me, I think you let the guy chase the record. And at least a little bit of me was wondering if Pep didn't pull Holland so early because it was Lionel Messi who uh, had the other five goal performance that 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 Holland had tied. To me, I, I don't know. I, I, given the connection between Pep and, and Messi, I <laughs> I, I kind of thought it was a little shady, but I'm not going to throw my conspiracy here, uh, conspiracy theory hat on just yet. But I was disappointed because I think you know Holland deserved the opportunity to go for it. He even said he was none too thrilled about being pulled out. Um, you know, of course he wasn't pissed or anything because you can't really get pissed because then you'll get branded as selfish. But I thought it was weak by Pep. I think you give Holland that performance, give them the chance to really maximize his performance. I mean, and if you look at how he played, he is really, I don't think he gets enough credit. And one of the weak things that I hear people say about him is, oh, he's just physical. It's just his dominant physical tools. And you would hear this about someone like Lukaku and, 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 you know, of course, you know, they're similar in the respect that they're both very big players. They're both very fast players. I think Holland is a lot more technical than someone like Lukaku, but either way uh, to, to say that, that Holland is just getting by on his physical skills is crazy to me. I mean, one of the knocks on him when he moved, made the move from Red Bull Salzburg to Borussia Dortmund is he was not good in the air. But if you watch him lately, he has improved his aerial game uh, tenfold. He is much better around the net with headers. It looks like he is reading the ball better on those crosses coming in, and he's getting a lot more power on his headers. Uh, we all know he's got a good left. I think his right has gotten much, much better as well. The guy is just dangerous. And 
you're crazy if you are a fan of any team and you wouldn't want him on it. I just keep thinking about that meeting last spring when Holland was injured with Borussia Dortmund. He was in Munich for treatment and he met Brazo at Brazo's home. And they talked about a potential transfer. And, you know, as I like to joke about, we all know Brazo had absolutely had a PowerPoint pulled up for him. He ripped out that deck. And good thing I didn't say whipped out that deck because I definitely would have messed that up. But he ripped out the deck and I'm sure he pitched it to Holland. And I don't doubt that Holland genuinely had some interest in Bayern Munich. And I get crushed for saying that, but I do think he did. I think the amount of money that Manchester City was throwing at him was something he could not turn down. Like there's a point where for sporting reasons, you might be interested in some other club. Like he might've been really interested in continuing on in Germany and playing for Bayern Munich. But when you're offered generational wealth, the fact that it's not just you, it's your kids and their kids and their kids after that, uh, that can all be taken care of because you made a decision to play for Manchester city. It's very tough for me to fault him for that. As I've said a million times here, athletes, the time's always ticking on their careers. So when they make a decision that's fueled by money, it's tough for me to fault them. As much as I think sometimes it's a cop out, sometimes I do think it sets players up to then get fat. I'm not talking about physically fat. Well, sometimes it happens, but to all, to kind of rest on their laurels because they've gotten paid. I don't think Holland is that type of guy. Like we've talked about a million times. He is a farmer. I mean, <laughs> literally he is a farmer and he is a person who is not necessarily all caught up in the life of being a star. So uh, for him, I think getting this kind of wealth will allow him to do some things maybe later in his career. And maybe that does include, uh, fingers crossed, a trip back to Germany to play for Bayern Munich. I hope so. But uh, I do think often about that meeting and I think about what if Brazo had just had one more animation in his PowerPoint deck or one more graphic that would have convinced Holland to play for Bayern Munich and how different things would be right now. Because I got to be honest, if you want to get excited about something, think about putting Holland at the top of this formation right now and think about all the crosses coming into him and having Thomas Muller and Jamal Musiala setting him up from central positions. Literally, does it get any better than that? I mean, the guy would have 50 goals right now uh, if he was at Bayern Munich. And that's not a knock on City. They've obviously got Kevin De Bruyne and a million other good players. But I think the way Bayern plays and how focused they are about feeding the striker and making sure the striker is getting good opportunities, Holland would have not just thrived at Bayern Munich. He would have just burned all the record books because he would have scorched them already. Uh, and I firmly believe that this edition of Bayern Munich with Holland at the top of the formation, unreal. They would be simply unreal. One of the other big stories we saw this week is that Jao Cancelo is already considered to be uh, a player that Bayern Munich's not going to bring back for next season. He's getting interest from FC Barcelona and Real Madrid. Of course, he could also go back to Man City at the end of his loan but the bottom line is we've seen a couple of reports this week that Cancelo is not going to be back at Bayern Munich, that they will not pay anywhere near the price that is being asked of them, which we believe is 70 million euro. And I'm all, totally on board with this. I don't think you need Cancelo at this point. If Bayern truly is going to stick with this formation, I think having Coman there is the way to go and having him being the starting right wing back 
you've already got Davies on the left. You've got Nusarma's rally as a player who can play wing back. You've got Josip Stanisic as a player who can play just about anywhere. Uh, I don't think you need Cancelo. I think it was a smart move for this season. I think it was a depth move. It, it was to protect Bayern Munich from being in a spot where you know a key injury would wreck their season, which we have seen happen a lot. So getting him for the Rook Ronda, I think, was a very deft move by Brazo. I don't think it was a long-term move. I think if, if Kinsella would have come here and he would have been a model citizen, if he would have worked his way to being a starter and he would have performed at an A-plus level, maybe Byron would have considered it. But I don't think it's even on the table at this point. I, I believe those reports. I think Kinsella will ultimately head back to England after this loan ends. And from there, who knows? Maybe those reports about FC Barcelona and Real Madrid will be true, although the most recent ones about FC Barcelona have them also walking away from the table on Cancelo. One of the reasons that, as I mentioned, that we uh, are kind of cramming in the preview and the weekend warm up together is that uh, we're going to have a reaction show uh, for the Champions League draw. And as of now, it looks like I will be on that, uh, but it's, it's not positive yet. Of course, we have a very fluid schedule so um you know we'll see what happens and and who's on it but it does look like it's going to be me but for whatever reason um you know this is a this is a major deal Uh, i mean Bayern munich is going to have the possibility of some very very intriguing matchups and to me i just want to focus on a couple of things of uh really just breaking down a couple of teams that I don't necessarily want Bayern Munich to play. And listen, I get the whole, like you to, you know, to, to, to be the best, you've got to beat the best. I get it. Right. But we're now down to the final eight teams. So if you can tell me that we're, that Bayern Munich is going to, to get through the semifinals, uh, you know, and they're uh, going to be matched up with AC Milan, I'm feeling very good about that. I might not be feeling so good about two teams in particular, Manchester City and Real Madrid. Man City we've touched on a little bit because of Erling Haaland and Pep Guardiola. I just think City is a very, very tough matchup for Bayern Munich uh, personnel-wise. They are the one team I think that might be capable in a two-game tie of outplaying Bayern Munich Um not just physically, but mentally. I think that they've got a lot of things going for them. I think Pep Guardiola, when he doesn't get in his own way, is still one of the top managers on earth and can find a way to win even in the most difficult circumstances. Personnel-wise, they just have a lot to match up with. Trying to contain Holland over the course of two games is very difficult, but that's not even counting Kevin De Bruyne and the other cast of characters that they have. I mean, this is a very good city squad. I think they would be a very difficult matchup for Bayern Munich. And to me, that is the number one team I would like to avoid. Uh, The second team I would like to avoid for this uh, round of the competition is Real Madrid. Now Madrid is nowhere near as good as they were last year. They are a little bit older. Um, They are a team that, you know, for whatever reason, this competition brings out the best in them, okay? And even when it looks like on paper they might not be as daunting of a force as they have been in the past, this is still a team that I don't think you want to get in the quarterfinals because 
they're also rolling in this competition. They have enough veterans who have been there, done that, that have won so much in this competition that they've won with and without Ronaldo, that they have absolutely established themselves as one of those clubs you do not want to face at any point. So for me, I don't want to see them just yet. Yes, the thought of Bayern Munich and Real Madrid or Bayern Munich and Man City clashing is something I want to see, just not yet. I'm okay with missing on that. In fact, if I'm looking honestly at at teams that I want Bayern to to face, I would say Chelsea would be at the top of my list because I think they're frauds and don't believe in them. I think they can't settle in on a coach. They can't settle in on an attack. They can't settle in on a midfield. I just, to me, they have a lot of things that are very unsettled, and that's just the type of team that Bayern Munich picks apart. You could also say AC Milan battling some injuries. They're not really doing all that great. Same for Inter Milan. Those two Italian sides, I think, would be very difficult matchups, uh, would would find Bayern Munich a very difficult matchup. Napoli, I think, is very tough, but I do think Bayern would be able to contain them. They have some uh, just excellent attackers in Victor Osimhen, and I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce Double K's name because not he's, listen, he's a terrific player, but I will butcher that 10 times over, so I'm not even going to say it. But uh, the other teams that would be left, once you will, actually just one after you cover all of them, is Benfica, who is exceptionally hot right now. And I think that <laughs> that people worry about running into that type of hot team at this stage of the season. Uh, we all remember what happened last year. Benfica potentially has uh, that ability to be that type of squad that could really pull an upset at this at this stage of the competition. So I do think, you know, it might be worth avoiding them right now. But if I had to pick the ideal matchups, I would say Chelsea or either Milan-based squad. The two teams I most want to avoid are City and Real Madrid for obvious reasons. And finally, the last footballing topic that we will touch on here is the story that came out this week from Build as part of their, what we call in the U.S., this the build Tuesday night news dump. Uh, They had had a story about Julian Nagelsmann committing to a new era of Bayern Munich football and playing the back three, because that's the way he believes it will work best. And I'm here to back him on that. Now I've said it a million times, including on this show, God knows how many times, but either way you have to let the coach pick the way he wants to play. You have to give him some input on the players that he needs to deploy that system that he wants to use. Committing to the back three right now is exceptionally smart. And here's why. He's got the base of center backs that you need to be successful here. Matthijs De Ligt, it looks like he's developing into a generational type player at Bayern Munich. Dio Upamecano has been one of the best center backs on earth over the past calendar year. Luca Hernandez, when he's healthy, is that different type of of center back who has explosive speed. Hopefully after his ACL injury, he still has that, but he's also got that feistiness and aggressiveness that makes up for his lack of size. Benjamin Pavar as a fourth option, as a guy rotating in, I mean, he's done really, really well. And I know that his future is a little bit of flux, but he has proven to be someone who can not only excel in a back three, but is 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 borderline getting to that top tier of center backs 
based on his performances. I mean, he's been really, really good. Can Bayern Munich retain him? I don't know. I hope so, because I think he's a perfect fit with what Julian Nagelsmann is trying to do. Even if you go deeper than that fourth option, you've got Josip Stanisic, who the only thing he's done recently is get a spot start against PSG because Nagelsmann thought it would work, and it did. Uh, Stanisic took those bright lights, shielded them away, and put in a terrific performance, uh, one that I think does not get talked about enough. And I think it just shows, one, that Nagelsmann, for all the criticism that I've had of him and some others, it's not necessarily about his ability to coach. I think one of the things that he's gotten in trouble with is picking the right players for the right moments. And I will tell you, I have no problem with what he's been doing lately. Uh, even something as small as picking Stanisic to start that PSG game. Now, of course, Pavar was out. He was suspended because of a red card, but he could have went with a veteran like Daly Blind. He could have shifted Jao Cancelo back to play a center back role uh, because by trade, Cancelo is a defender. Uh, he could have moved Alfonso Davies in, as weird as that might sound. It's not as if, you know, Davies couldn't handle that type of thing. But whatever Nagelsmann decided, whatever he saw, he put it together and it worked. And I feel like he's gotten so much better reading his team in the last few months and, and being able to change. I think he was very hesitant uh, when he initially made the decision to pull Thomas Muller out of the starting 11 after an injury, which to me, I don't think you should do that to a player, but Nagelsmann did it. He was hesitant to put Muller back in. He was not even considering him to play in the attacking midfield. He was having him battle with Chupo for the striker role. But I think what Nagelsmann saw was that Muller is, is one of the most effective players he has. He's definitely one of the most impactful, and not just because of what he can do on the score sheet, but what he brings to the team when they're actually on the pitch. He's a leader. He creates space. He's still a goal-scoring threat, and he's definitely a playmaker. For Nagelsmann to be able to evolve and decide that, listen, uh, maybe my initial thoughts were wrong. Maybe Muller still can be that type of player for this club and then put him back into the lineup, I think showed a lot of growth as a coach. I think when you look at a player like Leroy Sané, you can look at him and you can get wowed by all of the things that he can do, all of that potential that he has, all of that talent. But sometimes with a player like Sané, he, he goes through peaks and valleys. His valleys are very low. And unfortunately for Sané, he hit one of those valleys right at the time where Muller was making a push to get back into the lineup. So for me, the fact that Nagelsmann's been able to adapt, he's been able to evolve, and he's been able to push the right buttons on his personnel. I mean, Chupo is working out great as a striker. Listen, I still may have some reservations about how that all works out when the chips really fall and when things really get tough. But uh, Nagelsmann has believed in him. He's given him that opportunity. And if it has meant the uh, putting someone like Sadio Mane on the bench, I mean, we'll see how strong uh, Nagelsmann's conviction is because I, you know, I think Mane was brought here to be a starter. I think that Mane has expectations to be a starter. In this formation, it makes it very tough to use Mane as a starter. So for me, I'm really looking at things uh, from the perspective in with Nagelsmann from, from growth. What has he learned? How has he changed? And to me, now he's in a position where he feels confident enough to, to really do what he wants to do. He's using that back three. He's using the players he believes are best for that moment. 
he is avoiding the temptation to use other players or to push players into the lineup who aren't performing just because of who they are or how much they talk or what they say. Uh, He has really had his focus on getting the best 11 players in the best possible spots for each match. That's huge growth as a coach, at least in my eyes. So for me, I'm happy he wants to push this into a new era. And listen, I love the 4-2-3-1 as much as anyone. I'm a huge fan of watching good wings break down a defense from the outside in. I love that. I love everything about the 4-2-3-1. But for Nagelsmann to be successful, for him to reach his potential, I think he's got to deploy this back three. And I think he's got just the idea how to do it. I think he's got just the players to fill the kind of roles that he wants them to play within this formation. And I think he's got the strategy set up that he's going to put Bayern Munich in the best possible position to win a treble this season. And it will be using a back three. I firmly believe it. I'm going to back him using this formation, even if it draws me a lot of heat on BFW, especially in our Slack channel, because we do have some devotees of the four, two, three, one. And I understand it. I love the formation, but I think this is the way to go. As they say in The Mandalorian, this is the way. Finally, before I get out of here, I am going to touch on that season finale of The Last of Us. I'm also watching The Mandalorian right now, which is why I referenced it. But uh, that season finale of The Last of Us, I had a lot of takes on it. I just want to give a couple right now because I do want to be respective of your time. Uh, I thought the finale was okay. I think it ended the season okay. I think the series itself has been good, but not great. I'm not totally enthralled with the storyline at this point. Uh, I think the show struggles for a couple of reasons. I don't think that there's any, to me, visible long-term plan for where all this goes from here. I think that there are some great actors on the show. I think that there are some great actors playing great characters. Uh, I think that the dialogue and the interplay uh, between those characters, and of course I'm talking about Joel and Ellie, I think that that's what makes the show. Everything else surrounding that has been a little disappointing. Uh, And I know that there's this, the video game storyline that's out there. And the big debate is how closely does the show follow the video game? Where is it stray? Uh, I don't know. I'm purposely, as I've said a million, million times, I'm not going to read up on the video game storyline. I want to take the show as a separate entity. Uh, And while I think it was a, like I said, a good first season, I'm very worried about where it goes from here. I think there is still a lot of potential and that's mostly because of the great acting jobs that are done in the compelling two main characters. But aside of that, it's just two people kind of walking along the post-apocalyptic countryside, uh, just getting into different capers. I, I don't know. Um, you know, to me, there's a lot, still a lot of potential, uh, I did kind of enjoy Joel going all Terminator mode at the end. I don't know why I enjoyed that so much. I guess it just, you know, even though it might've been counterproductive to society, (laughs) it was kind of cool to see him kind of let his feelings take over and do some very questionable things because he felt they were right. 
personally, even if they kind of conflicted with, with what might have been best for society. Either way, uh, good season. Glad I watched it. But I am very skeptical going forward. I do have faith in the actors that they will make it entertaining. But good acting and good byplay between two characters can only carry a show for so long. The storyline eventually has to get better. The fact that there were so many flashbacks in this first season, while I'm always a sucker for a flashback, it seemed that they were a crutch that the show needed to lean on to fill time. And I do worry about that. I do worry about how the show can progress and evolve from this point forward. So good season. I will continue to watch next season, but I am skeptical about where this is all going. So thanks again for listening. Just remember, this was the preview show in the weekend warm up slam together. We will have a reaction show for the Champions League draw that will drop on Friday, probably within an hour of the draw going live. Uh, We will give you our takes on the draw, who Bayern Munich's opponent will be, and all of that. So please check that out. Please check out the site. We've got a lot of great draw coverage. We've got a lot of, uh, of course, coverage on the upcoming match between Bayern Munich and Bayer Leverkusen. You can get all of our great writers and podcasters every day on the site. So check them out. As always, you can get me at Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get our tweetmeister, Tom Adams, at TommyAdams71. And you can get I Need No Name at BFWIN. And then, as I said, get all of our great writers and podcasters at BavarianFootballWorks.com. We appreciate all of your support. Uh, there's still no update on to what is happening with the show and where it will land, although we're kind of in a holding mode working with Vox and SBN to figure that all out. And once the details drop, we will let you know. So have a couple of beers on me this weekend, and we will see you next time. <laughs>